welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. We're on episode 40, eh? <laughs> Time flies. I can't believe we've been doing this for 40 episodes. And today's episode is with David Ogudeko, founder of Funema. Funema is an investing platform. They invest in companies and it stands for Future Now Emerging Markets. David has a very interesting background. Um, he's been building companies within the venture capital space in Africa for over five years. And before that, he had a very interesting career journey from being a poet to communication design to energy infrastructure and down to technology consulting. So I just thought it'd be really interesting to sit down with him and unpack his journey and also unpack the vision behind Fnema and the interplay between tech investing ecosystems and driving development in Africa. So enjoy. Hi, David. Welcome to Connected Generations. Good to have you today. Yes, yes. Hi, Nikkei. It's been, uh, it's been, it's, 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 it's good to be here as well. It's good to be here as well. Awesome. Awesome. So you're founder, CEO of Fonema Group. Can you just yes. explain more about what Fonema is about and how, you know, your journey up until now, how you've come about and, you know, doing this work? Yes, so Fenema is an early stage venture capital. It's, well, I'm saying that with quotes. <laughs> There's a reason why I put venture capital in quotes, right? And that's because, yes, we play in the VC space. We work very early stage uh, startups, but we are going about it differently uh, because you're regular VC, um, you look for a, a really good business, uh, you write a check, uh, you may provide support if, if your model supports it, but it's not exactly, uh, it's not, it's not you know, vanilla, it's not traditional. But in our own approach is we provide services in exchange for equity. And there's a reason why we did that. Uh, and I think that for NAMR today is a culmination. Uh, let me not use the word culmination because it, it, may, it may sound like I have nowhere else to go <laughs> apart from Fenema. So just give me more. <laughs> so let me not use the word culmination because what thing I'm really, really afraid of is success. As much as I want success, but I like to raise the bar every year, right? So I'll say Fenema is a result of my journey so far. It's been, I would say it's about a 30 years journey. Um, and I would like to say that uh, Fenema has been a result of me going out of my comfort zone. Even this, this call, which is like, out of my comfort zone. I'm the kind of person that likes to stay behind the scenes. So I really don't mm. do interviews. Uh, mm. I run away from them as much as possible. <laughs> mm. Last time you sent me an invite, I, I came up with an excuse. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I've got a very poor connection where I am, so I can't do video. And I knew that was going to be an issue. So yeah, it's a, that was a really good excuse to run away. <laughs> Because it's out of my comfort zone. And mm. when I look at my journey, uh, what I'm doing today is completely out of my comfort zone. Uh, mm. I'm in finance, you can say. I, I work with spreadsheets. I, I'm more of a financial modeling guru, in a sense. That's what I've been told. But mm. it's a surprise you to note that when I started my, uh, my journey uh, 25 years you know, uh, ago, I started as a poet. You started off as what? <laughs> As a poet, as a writer. In fact, my really? first job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so I, I would like to share this because I think that um, what you do with um, African family firms and also the connected generation, the next gens, um, mm. I see that the challenge that most of your target audience would have is making that shift into yeah. family business. Do you get what I mean? Because mm -hmm. the, the generation of today were quite different from what our parents wanted us to be, you know. Go and be a doctor, go and be a lawyer, go and, go and be an engineer. engineer. Yeah, they're they're like five options. Mm -hmm. You get me? It's just five options. So it's four options and the fifth one is you're, you're, you're a useless somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have anything. So, and because for me, it's not easy for, you know, most of us making that switch to, to business mm -hmm. uh, because it's completely out of their comfort zones, right? I mean, you've got someone who, it's a choreographer, for example, and it's got a really good experience, a very nice portfolio, maybe working with Beyonce or whatever. And now they have to come and manage their dad's fam. <laughs> Complete shifts. Yeah. So uh, my journey can, can serve as inspiration that uh, your background in many cases doesn't determine where you, where, you, where you need to be. It can contribute. It can actually provide you a bit of, uh, of a support system, but it's not the determinant factor. Right <laughs> of, of of what you can be. So I say as a point. Uh, let me know if I'm going out of out of the agenda because uh, I can be. No, there's things. no agenda. <laughs> okay, great. I'm enjoying so, this. I'm gonna go yeah. deeper. On this. <laughs> My first job. This was back in I think 1999. Was uh, I was a writer in a studio in uh, in Sewellery, Oglana Drive, Big Leaf Studios. I wonder if this guy is still around. I don't know because he was based in in in, in the US. He's worked with, with, with a number of um, Hollywood projects and he wanted to come to Nigeria and set up like in, in micro Hollywood. Because I think that was a period when our own Hollywood was still quite virgin, was picking up an attraction and he wanted to get in on that. So I was a writer. Uh, I was writing for, I was writing TV scripts. Um, I was writing for comics. I loved oh. comics. In fact, back in high school, I used to draw and sell comics. <laughs> so wow. so that, yeah, yeah, I used to draw and sell comics. So. Um, so yes, I was a writer and I slowly evolved over time. Uh, from writing, I got into graphics design, I got into brand communication design, I got into brand strategy. And then from there, I, I got into web development. And from my background is in software engineering. And that exposed me to uh, you know, solving problems using technology. So, uh, and then from uh, software engineering, I, I started uh, a small business back then called Acute. It was more of a digital um, agency. So I would, I would work on IT projects for companies. And this was, this was back in the days when if you announce yourself as a web developer, um, they would say that you're not serious. <laughs> you know, you don't, mm. you don't really have a career. Um, and as I slowly, I think my first exposure to, to, the, to, the, uh, to, to finance or should I say private equity was a, a company I worked for. Um, they were, uh, they ran a boutique financial advisory firm, a quasi financial advisor, quasi private equity, because they managed the funds of investors going into the energy space in um, sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and they, they focused purely on oil and gas upstream and downstream. So I was the technical person. I started you know, working on the IT projects, developing the websites and, and whatnot. And I slowly grew into consulting. You know, I took on small consulting uh, uh, projects and from there I think that was where I got exposed to, to finance right uh, but more on the business uh, business design because I, I was very much involved in designing projects around their energy uh, or sorry, designing support systems around community support systems around their energy projects so uh, we had projects of 
uh, financing uh, refineries in Nigeria, for example. Uh, we would bring in the funds, we bring in the investors, we design the, uh, the MOU, the, the BOT, build operation transfer, we design the SPVs, uh, and I, I was involved in designing uh, community to community projects that could bring about inclusion, that could help the surrounding uh, um, communities um, that are less developed to leverage the, the financing that this energy project is going to bring in, into the community and use that to maybe set up schools, um, um, technology centers, um, upscaling um, you know, uh, projects. And from there, I, I, I saw the impact of finance and, and how finance can actually come in and, and uh, change a lot. It's like, it's like one rise entirely from up quite a number of votes. Uh, but that's a different <laughs> conversation. Uh, I, I guess I can just keep going on, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that project was, uh, it was, it was a bit of a mixed feelings for, for me because it was, it was nice, it was quite exciting. We were, we were working on projects of, uh, in, in Nigeria, we worked in projects in Ghana, uh, but I think in Nigeria, for example, we, we had a lot of, of pushbacks. Uh, and I think that was because of the local content policy that we have here locally. Um, and a lot of these projects en ended up being politicized. So uh, a project that could have been um, executed uh, in, in about six months would end up taking about two years and, and, and whatnot. Um, and that was very, very, because I'm, I'm coming from a design perspective, right? Where you are seeing, you're seeing the impact of your work um, immediately because you design a website, you design a logo and you can see results. It's a, it's a resource oriented um, uh, you know, project. So it's very easy to, I mean, there's that instant gratification, there's that instant satisfaction. But I was, uh, when I moved in, into that finance, I, it's, it's very difficult seeing, seeing the impact. So yes, we have nicely designed projects, but it's just taking too long. <laughs> so, and I asked myself a very, a very simple question back then. And what if I take all of this knowledge, access to, to finance and take it to small businesses, right? Uh, perhaps I could have more impact then, because uh, with small businesses, there is no, uh, there's no politics <laughs> behind the scenes. You know, there's no need to like, I need to get a license from DPR, uh, <laughs> you know, before I can get the project to shovel level, uh, to to to, sho to, to um, shovel um, level ready. Uh, I, I can get things moving quite quickly. So uh, when I left that company, I I joined Six Stars, and this is way back in 2016. And I was working. Uh, I was working with the entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneur mentorship program because they have about three different investment vehicles. Um, back then, I'm not so sure about now because I left Sisters in 2017. But the vehicle I was primarily involved with was the venture building studio, and it was a very simple, simple idea really. Uh, they would bring ideas that are quite successful outside of um, Africa, outside of Nigeria. Uh, bring it to Nigeria, find capable founders to come on board and co-build, and we would offer them equity in the business. But I could see that these projects were gaining traction very quickly, um, already becoming commercialized, becoming, um, you know, go-to-market could happen in about a month or two, generating revenue already, or that's quite sustainable and predictable. Um, and we had two successful projects um, out of that cohort in 2016. I think we had, that's where we have Quickcheck and Lendigo. Lendigo used to be invoice, invoice paid. So I, I saw firsthand um, how the venture building uh, the model works, uh, but I could also see the, the, the other side of, 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 of venture capital, which is uh, uh, investing cash um, you know, for equity. And I could see that uh, here in Africa, it's, it's just not, um, I mean, it's a nice idea, right? Um, 
support, it works best in more advanced economies because venture capital, um, to be, uh, if, if we break it down to the most simplest terms, it's actually high stakes poker. It's, 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 really, it's really high stakes poker, really. Uh, because you're, you're betting on the top 1%, or so 0.1% of companies that you know will, will give you the returns you're looking for, that will satisfy your, your LPs, right? But when you come to Africa, we don't exactly have a level playing field, like in, in, in advanced economies. In what example. sense? Yeah, yeah. Unpack that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, great. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess you want mute. In advanced yeah. economies, um, <laughs> yeah, I almost thought I was talking to myself already. In advanced economies, um, it's a level playing field. You've got a well-developed SME economy. I mean, in the US, for example, SMEs contribute over 60% of, um, to the GDP. So that's a level playing field. And what that brings about is not just um, good prospects for potential companies that can bring, bring about returns. But it also presents a mature market because the thing about technology is you're leveraging an existing infrastructure for skill, right? And that infrastructure goes into, it's not just about infrastructure for your supply chain, for example, your value chain. It's also infrastructure for a market, which has got millions of SMEs in, in, in advanced economies. They can actually patronize um, the cost for your SaaS, uh, for, I mean, so for, for, tech, for technology solutions, right? Mm. But when you come here, we don't have that market. So it's mm. very difficult. So that's why uh, in terms of skill, in terms of potential exits, it, it's, Africa is not ready. And that's the honest truth. And that's why you find that most investments happening here in Africa are in bubbles. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mm -hmm. fintech bubble. And even in the fintech vertical, it's very, very select segments that you find, you find investments, mm. investments going in. It's either in the payment segment, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we all need to pay for something anyways, right? So we can't do it without pay, without bringing out cash to pay. Uh, so in terms of the, the volume of transactions on a per unit basis, on a per customer basis, and, and the richest wealth, that is a scalability that can that that, that would make sense for for VC returns and VC investments. Hence, you know, the VC investments. Um, so, seeing that problem, you know, or rather that that bottleneck, it's it's more of an infrastructure problem. So, I could mm -hmm. see that this is not sustainable. Uh, uh, we are not going to have a lot of investments happening over time. Uh, it's like we are pulling out of a, we're, we're fetching water out of a. Uh, a well, and that well is not sustainable. So the water mm -hmm. will eventually run out, if you get yeah. what I mean. And I, and I could see that the venture building model was, was quite effective. I, I, I realized that the major problem of, of companies here in, 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 um, in Africa, or let, let, me, let me narrow down to, to Nigeria, uh, it's not exactly capital. Yes, we do need capital, don't get me wrong, yes. right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's not just capital, because when you raise funding, you spend... 50% of your funds on working capital, that's the honest truth, right? And when you look at the, the average ticket size happening locally um, in pre-seed stage and early stage, it's between $25,000 and maybe $25,000, right? If you're lucky, you can get about $100,000. If you are a second time founder, let's say, for example, you used to be the co-founder of Andela, for example, or maybe Paystack. Paystack. One of the co-founders mm -hmm. of Paystack decides like, you know what? I'm done with this, I'm moving on. I want to start mm -hmm. something fresh. He can easily raise 1 million. <laughs> he easily raise 1 million, right? Because the, the investors are looking at his pedigree and they can see that, okay, I can trust you with my, yeah, it's track mm -hmm. record. But mm -hmm. if you're a first time founder, it's very difficult. Maximum $75,000, maybe $100,000 if you're lucky, right? Uh, but if you raise $50,000 and you're trying to hire talents locally, and if you look at the state of the educational state, it's 
let's not even go there because that that's that's a, that's a black hole. I don't think we should we should we should, we should explore right now because oh, no. recent events, recent events. <laughs> um, yeah, are, let's not. Uh, let, I don't even like, know. So let's not even go. Yeah, let's not even. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna be really depressed right now, and yeah. I'll lose this momentum. Considering that I'm out of my out of out of my comfort zone, so mm-hmm. I think I'm doing okay, and I want to just keep, yeah, no, no, wanna, you you want to keep you said so much, right? Firstly, yes. you yes. said you're in, you know, you're put outside of your comfort zone in doing what you're doing now, but I think that's <laughs> that's the journey of every entrepreneur. Yeah, it is the journey. It? It's 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 um the next um um the next frontier, and then the next frontier, and then the next frontier. Right, you're going out of your comfort zone. I feel like we're Honestly. like the USS Discovery in Star Trek, for example. We're always <laughs> going to the next always. galaxy. We always. have no idea what's going to be there, but we do it nonetheless. Right, and that's yeah. that's the average journey of of, of an entrepreneur. So, so going back, so I, I could see that um. There's got to be a different way to, to doing this because there are two problems. The first problem is um, the right the right companies to invest in. There are not mm-hmm. many of them. Um, actually, three problems. Uh, that's the first problem. Then the second problem is when you find these companies, uh, highest it can raise is maybe twenty five k, thirty five k. Let's even say about hundred thousand dollars. But the challenge is there's a misalignment between um, what they're trying to do, which is high growth, you know, company model using technology, futuristic, it's the future of work, it's the future of, of solving problems. But when you look at the reality of talents in, in Nigeria, for example, we have the universities churning people that are not employable when it comes to the new way of work, the future of work, yeah. they're not employable. Yeah. Uh, you can even hire programmers from, from universities in, in Nigeria today, you can't. Uh, that's why we have, um, I mean, it's nice because that problem created, created a market for the uh, tech acceleration industry. That's why you have yeah. your Andelas and you have your, your student, for example, right? Which is good. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's innovation there. But if you want to hire directly from, from, from the educational market, you can't hire people because they can't, they can't get the job done. That's the honest truth. So it means that you have to look for people that are a bit more experienced. Or maybe the, I just got back expert, <laughs> the Nigerian experts that I you do, have yeah. are coming here. Uh, they've got like, you know, student loans to pay off. So they can't take any salary less than 60K a year. And that's already, that's all you've raised. So you can't even hire them. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so you can't even, I, I can't even be hired by a small business or even a startup in Nigeria. That's the honest truth. I mean, if they can't pay me about 100K a year, forget it. I'm just mm. too experienced. I'm just too knowledgeable. It's just mm. going to be a waste of my time. Especially so with the that, depreciating con- currency as well. It's, 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 it's a huge yeah, issue. Yeah, I mean, what, the Naira was 360 a year ago, and now probably it's going to be at 800 by next year if we, if we decide to be a bit serious and just decide on the real value of the Naira. But mm. let's not go there because that's not a black hole. That's another uh, philosophy <laughs> conversation. Yeah, yeah well, another day, maybe another another call and we can have all our experts on the panel. We make it a panel discussion. <laughs> To really, really address David thinks the Naira will be 800 <laughs> next year. That's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna work off in this conversation. Okay. <laughs> oh boy, I forget this is recorded. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So, um, so, so that's a problem. Um, a lack of talent. So you can't really hire people, and and that problem is a very fundamental problem because. Companies are made of um, are made of people. You need talents to move to get to the next stage, right? If the first the first investor or the first customer of any startup is, is the employee, they have to buy into the vision. They have to commit their their knowledge, their skills, and their time to make it work. 
if you can't find the right talents, what you find happening is the founders should hire interns and you know eventually and you know mentor them, uh, get them access to to tutorials online and whatnot. But that means that the development cycle of that company takes much longer, right? So what should have been an, an 18 months runway ends up being a 24 months or even 36 months runway. So, and when you look at the average fund life of a BC fund, you know, five years, four years, six years if you're lucky, it's just, yeah, it's this misalignment already. It can't even work. Now, the thought problem I also realized is uh, most investments happening in, in the BC space are happening in tech bubbles. But these are just like, it's like saying that you want to, you're going to, you, you're going to uh, Lagos Island and all you want to concern yourself about uh, is going to ice cream factory, <laughs> right? Or I don't know, it's just like, we have serious infrastructure problems in, in Nigeria and, and in Africa, right? We've got serious problems that need to be solved. Um, but the founders that you find in, of rather in the entrepreneurs you find in those, in those sectors, don't get any sort of um, any kind of support. We see them as social entrepreneurs, right? It's another mm -hmm. impact story. You know, let's just support them because it's, it's it looks good on the portfolio. Uh, we have a well-rounded, <laughs> well-rounded focus. Um, but no one is making that sector a business, right? No one is looking at the long-term mm. returns on, on that sector. How, so, so, how can we change that? create an opportunity out of that because at the end of the day um, it's essentially infrastructural deficits that will have an impact on consumers and wider citizens right how yeah. wherein lies the opportunity to bridge that gap and how best can that gap be bridged if there, if it's possible is there an arbitrage opportunity there hi that's a very very interesting question and it, it, it's 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 quite deep it might be a black hole <laughs> Right, because yeah, where do you want to focus on? Do you want to focus on agriculture, for example? Right? Mm. Uh, do you want to focus on education, for example? Do you want to focus on uh, transportation, for example? It's it's very broad, and I would say that we need more patient capital. First of all, mm. um, we need more government engagement. Uh, if you look at advanced economies like the US, for example, you've got the SBIC in the US, the Small Business Investment uh, I think Committee, where it's almost like a PPP arrangement between the government and and venture capital, where the government would match the funding of VCs, right? Mm -hmm. um, or I think the government would, um, uh, would raise a fund, and the VCs come and, and manage the fund, and you also have the the VC, the venture capital trust in the UK as well. But when you come to Nigeria, we don't really have anything. In fact, the most we've seen the government do, okay, now we have the LSE, uh, the Local State Employment Trust Fund, but it's an employment trust fund. It's not a full, it's, it's not a full-fledged VC fund, but even if it is a full-fledged VC fund, it's just Labour States. We need yeah. something a bit more far-reaching, right? The government needs to take a step in because infrastructure-wise, it's a long-term play and the average um, um, life um, cycle of a VC fund is roughly four to five years, right? So who's going to finance the the risk of developing that infrastructure can be VC funds. It doesn't make any sense. Like I said earlier on, it's, it's high stakes poker, right? It's, mm. it's, I, I can't even, it's, it just doesn't make an economic sense to, to any VC investor. So mm. if the government can take that first step to finance projects um, across different sectors, they can decide to um, make it thematic on a year on year basis. Like, okay, this year we're going to focus on agriculture. Next year we're going to focus on, on, on transportation. We're going to focus on, civic engineering, building roads, whatnot. Um, because, I mean, I, I've mentored founders who are very innovative. So I, I, was, I, I used to be a mentor for the, uh, 
uh, the RSW Ready Set Work program, where they would um, uh, have the, the students generate ideas, um, and then the legacy government would fund those ideas uh, through cash prizes. I think the, 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 lot, the, the biggest price is about 5 million naira. So that's just roughly, I don't know, back then, like 10, 10K plus, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and these guys would come up with very innovative ideas. Like there was, there was a particular um, a startup called Waste to Wealth. Uh, they found a way to convert plastic waste into construction bricks. So into, um, yeah, construction bricks. The, the kind you find in, in Lekki, for example, for, for the roads, right? Mm. Um, and if you look at the amount of waste we have in, in Nigeria, right? So one can say that if, if they can get the support they need, because the, the kind of infrastructure we have require for them to, to, um, to, to establish that business sustainably is it's quite expensive. They have to set up a manufacturing plant, um, source for waste, convert that to, to bricks, da, da, da. It's, it's a long-term play. You won't find any VC fund playing in there. But if the government can say, okay, uh, we're going to support innovative projects like this for the next one or two years, and we can take these projects from ideas to, um, to uh, maybe uh, through incubation and all the way down to early growth, We've done the hard work, we've, we've built infrastructure, and we know that the next step is for scale. Then VCs can then come in at that point in time because at that, you know, it's, it's, they're just coming into, okay, I can scale these across the entire country, um, or rather I can, I can finance, um, um, you know, hiring more talents. Um, I can see that you've got um, um, off-takers. The government can, be, can become a partner in, in buying the, the final products to build more roads, right? And we, we know in terms of building roads, there's a huge market in Nigeria anyways, because we don't really have any roads in that country, right? <laughs> so uh, the government can take that to, to build roads um, and then the visa can benefit from that, from that commercial, commercialization of the existing infrastructure or should I say the projects. Uh, so that's how we can explore going into those potential black holes and demystify mm. those areas, mm. right? But for mm. now, it's, it won't make any sense for any visitor to go in there. So, so um, you know, your work at Fenema is essentially to nurture, you know, early stage businesses that are looking yeah. to solve solutions, right? So given all these contextual limitations and challenges, how, how do you go about in achieving that mission at Fenema? How, how do you... Yeah, so Fenema is a very long-term play for me. <laughs> it's a very long-term play because we're trying to solve multiple problems, but I, I can break it down into three key areas. So there's a, there's a problem of the founder not having the right support, right? So that's the, that's the primary problem, but that's the first problem we tackle. And the second problem is um, uh, the sectors that are largely um, ignored, right? Uh, in, in Africa, because, uh, because they're not classified as you know, quote, sexy investments, so to speak, um, and they're not currently scalable. Maybe they're not asset light, they're too asset heavy and, and, and whatnot. So that's the second problem. We want to um, give those founders the support that they need to build out, to scale. The third problem we're trying to solve is more of a market problem. And, and that market problem is inclusion, because if you look at your PlayStack, for example, it's really nice, it's fantastic, we've got a nice exit. That's a good sign for, for, the, for the African ecosystem. But I don't know, if you go to any market woman in, um, let's even go as far as Lokoja. <laughs> I say, uh, do you space that? She'll probably ask you, Kilo Njebe. What is that? Um, so inclusion is, 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 is lacking, 
right? And, and what we're looking at is how can we bring the innovation gap uh, between uh, uh, emerging trends um, in bubbles that exist in bubbles in, 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 in Africa and uh, largely underserved communities, underserved markets that have no idea how technology can actually come in and solve your problems. That is understandable though, because these markets are not populated by uh, potential consumers that have the economic uh, uh, um, capacity or should I say the purchasing power to patronize innovative solutions, right? So there's a reason why they're in the black hole. No one is thinking about going there because in terms of um, addressable market size, they don't really align. So we are solving that problem by uh, targeting founders who are in that space, we've, we've found a way to innovate, we've found a, found a way to build a, a model that, that can work. We support them, we help them scale um, the solutions um, in, in, in those markets, and then we connect them to opportunities um, outside of, of, of uh, in the way you've got your VC funding, because we know how to innovate around their models and make it scalable that can then engage um, um, a VC, uh, or should I say institutional funding. And you're across different industries, correct? Yes, across different industries. So we've got, when we started, we were sector agnostic. This was way back in 2017. So uh, I didn't finish my origin story. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Sorry, <laughs> carry yeah, on. Yeah. I didn't finish my origin story. Please don't steal that thunder from me. <laughs> finish, please. <laughs> Let me finish the origin story, right? And then I would like to connect it to how it's out of my comfort zone. Um, and then, then we can move into okay. uh, the sectors, or should I say the theme. So um, I left Sea Stars in 2017 because I could see that there's got to be a different way to venture capital. And um, uh, I started Phenema back in 2017. Uh, and the idea was, it was stupid at the time, but it sounds like it's not so stupid anymore. The idea was to go to uh, you know, an early stage founder who was, was, was building something in the frontier markets locally uh, that's largely on address. Uh, give them access to my knowledge because I was the first, I was the first company builder being the, being the sole entrepreneur back, back then. Give them access to my knowledge, help them build their business properly, um, scale to a certain point uh, through traction and then connect them to institutional funding. I didn't raise a fund and that was intentional. Um, because I knew that it's, what are you, well, wh why? You know, it's nice to have a fund. It's nice to say I'm writing checks, but if I can't even predict the outcome of the checks, it's, it's, I can't even see what the market would hold, right? So that would limit me to only focus on markets that are already uh, growing and I'll end up being like the pack because investors invest in pack, right? Which is great. It's nice that we invest together. But if we only keep investing in the bubbles, then what about the largely unaddressed uh, infrastructure market. I mean, if you look at um, Nigeria, for example, uh, if uh, a census was done in 20, I think 2017 by, by Smeden on the number of businesses, uh, over 30 million businesses. I, I think that's, I'll probably say that this way the numbers that they could count uh, because there's a lot of data loss uh, in, in, in Nigeria. And 90% of those businesses are micro businesses. That's alarming, right? It's, 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 actually, it's actually quite sad. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> and you, the the, 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 um, the tech bubbles are addressing the, the 10% that is addressable, but the 90 business are largely unaddressed. So, and if, if I want to target that market and I don't really understand how to solve the problems, then what's the point of raising a fund? So the idea was to use skills in exchange for equity. Um, and so far we've got, we started with just one company in the portfolio in 2017, and now we've got about 10 companies now in, in our portfolio. So 
so yeah, that's my um, origin story. <laughs> and then to, to when we started in 2017, um, uh, it was sector agnostic because I, I really wanted to throw myself in, into the deep end uh, and, and understand, identify where the real pain points are. And then in 2018, in 20, uh, 2019, we evolved into about seven different sectors, right? That's, um, you know, agriculture, healthcare, um, you know, um, uh, uh, renewable energy, and, and four other sectors, uh, commercialization. But now we, we've, we've realized that, okay, it's nice to, to uh, focus on sectors, but what is the bigger picture anyways? Because uh, in terms of development, there's, there's some, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the lack of development is so heavy that it's, it's a real problem. And we decided to, okay, what do we really want to achieve um, in Africa and in the markets that we are, we're targeting? And we, we narrowed out to four key, key um, themes, or should I say strategies. First of all, we want to digitize the, um, the last mile economy, right? Because these people are living in a black hole when it comes to um, access to the, to the data grid, to the information grid, access to, to the opportunities grid. They are largely marginalized. So can we digitize them? Can we increase the market opportunity from just about 10% SME penetration to about 20% SME penetration of the entire um, business um, um, ecosystem, right? And if, if we can do that, then it means that we have you know, micro-businesses growing into becoming SMEs. And if we have more SMEs, then it means it matures, the, the, the market is, is, is slowly maturing. We can have more, we can have, we can have a wider B2C market for for, for, for higher growth tech startups locally. And if we can have a wider market, uh, a, a wider adjustable market size, and it means that we can start getting more investments there because the opportunity is bigger, um, because uh, it, uh, it's bigger and you know, IPO opportunities can, can also be in, in, in the future. And of course the stock market can also grow as well. We can have more players there as well. We have more businesses becoming tier one companies over, uh, over time. And we can have a healthy stock market in, in Nigeria. So the first, we decided to, you know what, let's start with digitization. Can we digitize the last mile economy? Can we get the micro businesses online? Um, and then can we also get the, the, the consumers there as well online? Can we get them access to opportunities that the internet provides? And the second strategy is once we're done digitizing them, can we also help them become e-commerce? Um, businesses? Can we get the brick and mortar businesses that are now digitized in terms of understanding how to use the internet, understanding how to use digital tools to transform from analog way of getting things done to more uh, digital way, which is a bit more, which is you know, more efficient, it's faster, it's scalable. Now, can we help them access a larger market? The average micro business in Lagos or anywhere in, in Africa, really, uh, maybe they can only target potential customers within, I don't know, one or two, three kilometers of radius around your business, right? That's quite small. Uh, what if we can open up the market for that, for that small business? How's it, gonna, what's it gonna, I mean, how's it gonna be like? I mean, we've got um, you know, companies in our portfolio that engage in businesses outside um, of, um, of, um, uh, of the country in, a, in different continents. And we've got uh, you know, business models that are leveraging the dropshipping. Um, uh, uh, I mean, we've got startups leveraging the, the dropshipping model uh, where you can I mean, you can run your your retail business in in, in Africa, but you've got customers um, in Asia, and you know, your supply chain is already figured out. You don't have to worry about that. Can we bring that same opportunity to micro businesses, but localize that solution for them? So the e-commerce uh, getting these businesses online, 
uh, apart from just being digitized, um, making them digital savvy, but uh, but also getting them online uh, through e-commerce is, is the next um, um, is the second strategy, the second step in our theme. The third key step is great. Now they're online, they've got customers, um, they're making business, um, and because they're already digitized, the transaction records are, are digitized as well. Can we then give them access to growth opportunities? And that can be in, in, in the form of, of financing, debt financing, uh, in some cases maybe equity, but most, most, most uh, largely debt because the reason why we don't have a lot of, uh, uh, should I say, uh, commercial banks locally giving out loans, you can't really blame them unless we're frank about it. We might, we might cry about it, we might moan about it, but it's a black hole. Uh, your businesses locally don't even have financial records. If you, if you ask an average small business to, to give you the record, they'll probably bring out a, a, a notebook and like, okay, uh, it, it's, um, I saw this on this date, um, and this is why I saw this, how much I saw it, and you know, it's to Mr. Lagbaja or to, or to that person. And, and you have rows and rows of, I mean, what's the background? What can they do with that, really? Right. But if they can get access to their financial records uh, and understand, see patterns and trends, it's much more easier to design loan solutions that would make sense with the right um, um, amortization strategy, with the right uh, interest rates that can make sense. So in fact, that information can even enable the government to, to, to build better fiscal policies, right? Because right now it's all in the deck. We're just coming up with ideas or assumptions, but they're not data-driven. So if we can um, connect these already uh, digitized businesses that are, that are you know, uh, commercialized, uh, e-commercialized, e if I can use that word, uh, that should actually be a word. We, we should make it a word going forward, right? That should be the second takeaway from this, from this call. Uh, just ensure, make sure you quote me as well. So I can immortalize it in the in the you know in, in history. So once we can give uh, help them grow by providing uh, um, um, access to financing opportunities, and at the final stage, the fourth key strategy, which is the final stage, and that makes up, uh, and that makes up our our entire theme, is last mile distribution. Can we mm -hmm. then connect them, uh, or can we plug these businesses into the supply chain or, or the value chain of top-tier companies that are looking to penetrate difficult uh, markets but can't really get there. So can mm. they become retail partners? Can they become distribution partners? Can they become um, commercial partners of these, of, this, uh, of this large organization? In fact, that can even open up access to um, you know, different kinds of, of financing. It could be inventory financing. Like they could say, okay, you know, I'll give you my, uh, you don't have to buy this upfront. I can see your data. I can see that you are in this market, in, in this location. You make this number of sales on a monthly basis. I can see mm -hmm. that. I tell you what, I'll give you like 100 units. And then you just go sell and then you come back and then you, 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 you pay me back because I can, I can already see that you can, uh, you, you can pay back. So last mile distribution is what we are ending our strategy with. So we start with digitization. You can see it, it's, a, it's an iterative mm -hmm. development um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, strategy, or should I say model. Now that made and still makes better sense for us as opposed to saying we invest in agriculture, we invest in this, we invest in that. It's, it's nice to say that, but what's the, what's the bigger picture? What's, mm -hmm. what's the real impact? Because we're not, that, yeah. Yeah, we're not that advanced. We're not that, uh, that advanced yet. So we need to build a story. We need to build a narrative that makes sense uh, on the bigger picture. And once we have a level playing field across the entire sectors, then it's easy to say, okay, um, the growth rate in the energy sector is still quite small compared to the rest of the world. There's an opportunity here in this market. We're going to put in this, uh, we're going to raise a fund. Uh, we, can, we can predict, you know, 
X percent year year growth for the next 10 years, the next five years. And we know that there's already government participation. It's safer. Let's just go into renewable energy for the next five years or for the next 10 years. For us, mm -hmm. that makes it, I think when we already have a level playing field across all sectors and across in terms of grassroots and development, then you can start playing sector by sector. But for now, it doesn't make any sense for us. Mm -hmm. I just, I love the interplay between essentially, you know, the micro working on the structural foundations of businesses on the micro level and then, you know, thinking more macro long-term how this interplays into economic development. I really love it. Just 2020, we can't have a conversation in 2020. It's been a decade. I always say it's a decade. This year alone has been a decade. And um, COVID-19, what, what was... What was, you know, how did COVID impact on your business? Um, and what did you do to get through the pandemic? <laughs> it's a black hole, but I'm willing to explore it. Uh, so, so, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't want to say that we were unlucky. <laughs> because we were just about, we're raising funds, right, for, to expand Fenema because I, I spent the last three years um, proving that the model works, that it wasn't a stupid idea. <laughs> and then we can, because we've got companies that are doing quite well. I mean, uh, we've got OSB, uh, which started as a micro lending company back in 2017. And we, we started as, and we, we went against the grain. We went, we went the other way because then we had lots of the fintech micro lending startups um, uh, mushrooming during that period. We had the likes of um, the pay later and, and co. Uh, and they would, I mean, the model was very straightforward. Download their app, uh, you pull in your social data, feed that into the algorithm, create a credit score, and based on that, they will give you a long ride. But we went the other way. We were, we were targeting um, traders that were, uh, they were not online, they didn't have smartphones, they didn't have bank accounts, but they were trading on, daily, on a daily basis. These were your, you know, Yalata, uh, your average petty trader you find in local store markets. And we, we were giving them microloans um, between uh, $800 and I think $1,000, depending on, on, um, uh, on what they need funds for. And also depending on you know, iterative uh, loan cycles as well. And, and that it, was, it was a very risky concept, but we had less than 5% default rates. So the success rate was very high. Uh, and that model uh, has evolved into a digital model now. We're now in the fintech. We're playing slowly, but slowly into the fintech space because we've been building infrastructure that we're now digitizing. I mean, these were people that didn't have bank accounts, but now they've got bank accounts. Now they're saving money. They were not savers back then, but now they're saving. Um, and they're using um, you know, their mobile phones for, for financial transactions, right? They're buying, you know, they're buying airtime using your phones. They are sending money using their phones, riding on infrastructure that we've built. So that, that's, that was quite a remarkable journey. And we were, that was a key match though in the 2019. And then we, we, I mean, the next step was, okay, you know what, let's raise and let's start scaling the solutions. Let's start exploring uh, you know, uh, more sophisticated technology to, to, to scale this. And we're just about finally closing that round. I mean, we already had uh, a soft commitment uh, that was meant to come in February. And then, you know what happened, the US stock market went kaput. It's a big mushroom cloud, <laughs> and our investors pulled out last minute. So uh, it was, uh, it, yeah, it, it was really tough because that, that really affected our, 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 our runway. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had to, <laughs> we, we, 
uh, I mean, two key employees left because we, we, we couldn't even pay salaries for about two months. It was that bad. Uh, and we had to find a way to innovate. And it's very, very interesting because I'm kind of happy that that happened, to be honest, because in hindsight, it forced us to find a different way to survive and to still scale because the way our model runs is we've been having um, average year-on-year growth of 300% in terms of our portfolio size and portfolio value, right? And we saw that, and we wanted to maintain that trend, uh, and we didn't want 2020 to be, <laughs> to, to be an issue, right? Uh, and maybe the pandemic to be an issue. So we knew that, okay, uh, we had about five companies in our portfolio back then, and we knew that this pandemic was going to affect our growth, so we can maintain that trend. And the only way we could do that is, is to increase the size of our portfolio to get more companies involved. But that was, that was like trying to punch above our weight, like, you know, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, that's his name, Muhammad Ali. <laughs> yes, punch above our weight. Uh, because it was, it was a pandemic, uh, no funds. Uh, in fact, we already downsized in terms of employees leaving. <laughs> we couldn't face salary. So how are we going to achieve this? And we had to innovate. And I, I think what really helped us was uh, maybe my exposure to quantum quantum physics. Uh, <laughs> this is this is quantum phenomenon about the state of of, of quantum objects. I, I think um, electrons, where uh, it's called superpositioning. <laughs> it, it, it's it's very funny. And uh, I'm I'm a man of faith, and I, I think that if quantum quantum physics and quantum phenomena can give us uh, 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 like an insight into who God is, right? Mm. So, but anyways, let, let's not go that's into that. That's a whole conversation. That's a whole different conversation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we've probably run out of time, so I'm just going just gonna to bring this home. Um, so you would expect you know, matter to be in, in, in a fairly predictable way, right? So you want the subject mm -hmm. to go from point A to point B, and you can predict that. And you, you know that you know, every matter has well-defined attributes. So it's uh, color blue or color red or color green or whatever. But in the quantum state, um, electrons tend to have every possible state at the same time. So it's difficult to say that these electrons would take this route um, or travel point A to point B taking, I don't know, um, let, let's use, um, let us use Thordmalian bridge, for example, in, in Nigeria, right? But mm -hmm. What you, what, what you find out is that the same electron is taking both Swadmillan Bridge and the second Millan Bridge at the same time. And how is that even possible? But that's just it. So it's, it's existing in, in, in multiple states at the same time. So it's like, you know, shorting this cut. You can exactly say the cut is alive or dead. So the cut is both alive and dead. And that gave me an idea <laughs> because um, we had two choices, grow or die, right? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. scale or contract. Right, mm. but I was like, "What if we do? What if we can do both at the same time?" Mm. It's a bit tricky, right? But yeah, I'll, I'll get there. We didn't have the capital to hire more people to, to, to expand our team size, to, to provide more value to portfolio companies, and to also onboard more companies into portfolio. But what if we can find a way around it? What if we can still do that without having to increase our team size, uh, without having to raise financing? So that made us create a fellowship program because what the pandemic created. Um, yes, everything came to a standstill, but there was an opportunity there because students that would have been in school um, mm. were not in school and, uh, during that period and they, they had lots of free time on their hands. So what if we could leverage that uh, newly created resource, right? They're looking for experience and these are college graduates 
to the final year or they're just about you know getting doing their final exam and they want to intern somewhere. Uh, and now with, with with the internet, with the pandemic, and with, um, with lockdown, you can actually run an, an internship um, virtually. You didn't have to come down to your country, so the cost of having to fly people down locally was was was, was completely taken off the table. So so we started a fellowship program, and we were able to get about ten people to participate um, in the first pilot uh, in the first cohort. So this was back in in July, um, yeah, July, August, September. And by leveraging that resource, so we didn't exactly invest in hiring more people, but we had more hands in deck. We were able to achieve the goal of scaling the portfolio and onboarding the companies successfully. And they were currently running our second quarter as well. So we were, I don't know, I, I could say simple position, <laughs> downsized, quite small, but we were also large at the same time. And that really helped us in uh, during COVID. And, and that innovation also opened up ways for us to monetize and to generate revenue as well, because now we've got, we had more hands on deck, we could um, um, uh, focus on more revenue generating the opportunities, and, 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 and that has been keeping us sustainable um, and during um, the pandemic. So I would say that the 2020 was like the best year for us, <laughs> in a sense. Wow. Yeah, 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 it is. It's actually the best year because we're able to achieve a very ambitious growth targets. Uh, we, are, we are cash flow sustainable, in a sense. Um, and we ended up not even needing the investment that we raised at that point in time. So it's it's a bit of a mixed mixed uh, mixed mixed mm. feelings, but it's more positive than negative. That's amazing. That's amazing. My last question for you: <laughs> If you could turn back the hands of time to five years back, what would you do differently between twenty fifteen and twenty twenty? I don't know because I sort of like the way everything is turning out. <laughs> because it's all so five years ago, I wasn't in finance. Okay, actually, I was in finance, but not as in depth as I am today. Ten years ago, I was in finance. I was okay. I was in finance, but not as in depth as I am today. But when I look at my, uh, you know, my journey so far, uh, going out of the next, out of my comfort zone to the next, you know, out of comfort zone experience, um, I would say that. The fact that I was um, I was more of a creative, I was more of a, I was more of a left brain person, and then I came into the right brain um, sector because finance is purely right brain, really. It made me see things differently, right? It made me see things, uh, yeah, differently. And innovation is much more easier for me, so I don't regret my journey. And I think that this can be something that the next gen is going to also consider as well. Like just because I don't know, maybe their daddy runs, uh, I mean, the family runs. Uh, a, a PE fund, for example, or they're into uh, agriculture, for example, and um, they are, I don't know, so far they've just been a, a dancer. Uh, it doesn't mean that dancing is not relevant. It, it's more about associated skills in a sense. You can mm-hmm. leverage that, that, cult, that, that culture, the discipline, the, the way to solve problems, because dancing is about grace and balance. And how mm. can they bring that into agriculture in terms of mm. the best time to plant, the best time to harvest? How can they leverage the right resources, achieving mm. that grace and balance? So, mm. so I would not change anything in my journey at all because it, it might have been very difficult back then um, going through the experiences, but I've come to realize that it actually made me who I am today. And I'm, mm. I'm riding on that infrastructure in, in, in a sense <laughs> of, my, of, my, of, of my journey and it's taking me to the next to the next level. Mm. So I, maybe I would say that I would not cry a lot 
<laughs> with every step back. Because <laughs> it's more like, okay, it's going to get better. So why cry? Why waste all that time crying? Why waste all that time moping around? So um, I, would, I would focus more on not wasting time moping about problems. I mean, I'm, I'm more of an introvert, per se. So I could spend like two weeks or one month just moping about uh, moaning and crying and just being sad about the setback. I think, I think that was time wasted. So that's the only thing that would change. So get up quickly and just keep moving ahead because every setback is actually uh, a platform for a, uh, a launchpad for a, I don't know, this, this is Aspire to Inspire, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's actually, it's actually a launchpad for something much more greater. Mm. I love that. I love your point about the dancer example. I think it's really a call to all of us to seek new frontiers to which we can apply our skills, our experiences outside of the pigeonhole boxes that we've all placed ourselves in, not necessarily yeah. even other people place us in, and see that we are gifts in our respective families, businesses, communities, and nation, continents. And <laughs> It does require creativity on our part to see the application of the experiences, the skills that we have and how it applies in this particular, for instance, you said the family business. How can I apply my dancing experience and skills to the family business? But I think it's also a call to even much more than that in our communities, even in our nation. Our nation needs us at this hour. But that's, I think we'll have another conversation about Nigeria. (laughs) Nigeria is a long-term project, but I don't know. I could say that for the first time ever, I am now very hopeful. Same. I think that we are the precipice of change, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I can say that I, I used to think that this would not happen in my generation, lifetime. in my timeline, in my mm. lifetime, but it looks like mm. it's going to happen. I'm looking forward to it. Like, it's exciting times you are in right now. Indeed, indeed. Thank you so much, David. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how best can they reach you? It depends on if I want to be reached, actually. <laughs> okay, you don't want to be reached. <laughs> oh, yeah, good. I, I like being behind the scenes. Just the introverted. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. I mean, I'm the kind of person that, I mean... They'll send you smoke signals, don't worry, and it will reach you, or Telegram yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, Not the Telegram always, app, the old school Telegram. The old school Telegram. <laughs> Yes, yes, just uh, David Beep. I like to get to meet you, Beep Beep. That kind of, that's perfect, you know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but I can always be reached. Uh, David Ogunneko, you can check me out on LinkedIn. Um, and um, I'm also on Twitter as well. Uh, just send me a LinkedIn invite because I think that's the safest way for me to be reached. Just David Ogunneko, I'm on LinkedIn. And then, uh, yeah, I'll be happy to connect. Awesome. And, um, I will try to not embarrass anyone because uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I really I can be very quiet sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. You're alive. Yeah. You made it. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. So, yeah. See, it's just a conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That was a really meaty conversation and so much, so much to like unpack. And I'm not even going to attempt to do that in this two minutes, three minute outro. (laughs) David is so multifaceted, right, as a person. And so it's always an interesting time to sit down and unpack his brains. What struck me is as entrepreneurs, particularly as next gens, 
quite often will be called to places of discomfort, to new areas that we're not comfortable with, that we've never tried before, whether it's new skills, whether it's new industries, whether it's a new way of doing things, new platforms and of, of the like. And the challenge is, you know, when you're called to the new, there's often a temptation to hold on to the old and to stick to what it is you know and stay in this place of comfort. But the very thing you need to excel <laughs> in places of discomfort is action. And it reminds me of a quote I came across this week that literally I've just been like stewing on all week and it's by Adam Grant. He says, uncertainty is hope disguised as dread. The best antidote to anxiety isn't calm. It isn't distraction, it's action. And why is that applicable? Um, When we're going to new things, trying new things, doing all things in new ways and so on and so forth, um, new platforms, new paradigms, new products, new investments, new skills, there's often a temptation to stay in a place of inertia and not venture out into the deep. But the actual thing we need, the best antidote, is not to remain the same. It's to actually take action. And action doesn't have to be wild, huge steps. Sometimes they're just baby steps because we really need to fight that uncertainty and move towards action. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Take care and God bless you.